Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast. I'm Rev. Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary, Capital University. And I'm Tim McNinch, Assistant Professor of Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. Our colleagues Paul and Rosie are off this week, so here we are. We're here to bring you preaching insights into a text you may have read before. Hmm. A classic and long text, the first creation story in uh, Genesis 1-1 to 2-4-A, the first reading for Sunday, June 4th. Rachel is up this week, and um, I think I've read this one before. If you're looking your Bible, uh, turn to page <laughs> 1. Well, you have to get past all of the XI, XVI, XVII. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ay, ay, ay. is right. Yeah, there are so many places to go with this text that it was almost harder to write something on it, which I think is a, a familiar uh, experience by a lot of mm-hmm, preachers. Sometimes mm-hmm. the more familiar the text, the harder it is to write the sermon. Uh, but before we even get there, I think it's important to note that many denominations are also commemorating Trinity Sunday this week. I don't know if I've ever actually asked you this, Tim. Have you ever given a sermon just focused directly on the Trinity? I don't remember that I have, and I probably have not. It's so hard. It is, It is. I mean, you know, I think it was Anselm, wasn't it, who was like, of, of everything there is of faith, we will never understand the Trinity. Like, he was just like, it's a mystery. Don't even try. It just is what it is. Good luck, preachers. Yeah. Thanks for listening to First Reading. <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, and that's, so folks, whether you decide to focus on the Trinity in your preaching or not is your choice, our dear listeners. For me, when I was preaching, I tended to spend less time trying to explain the Trinity in my sermons, partially because I felt ill-equipped to do so in 12 to 15 minutes, <laughs> and well, at least Ill- ill-equipped to do so without being heretical, and and more time sort of giving an experience of the Trinity, if that makes any sense. I think so. Say some more about that. So if we take this Genesis text, for example, you could spend time talking about how in the Christian tradition, we look at Genesis 1 and see, ah, God the Father, God the Word, Jesus, and God the Spirit, breath. And that could be the sermon point. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really give you a whole lot for a sermon, does it? No, that'd be a pretty short sermon. (laughs) And uh, it, it might not land with people, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I, I think sermonic explanations can be helpful, but a sermon made up entirely of exposition can leave the worshiper somewhat dry. What I think can be more helpful than explaining the Trinity is perhaps exploring together the mystery of the Trinity in your sermon. So hold on to your hats, dear preachers. We're kind of going the mystic route in this <laughs> uh, episode a little bit more than we normally do. But let's start here. For starters, I would just begin with the reading of the text itself. Whether or not you preach on this text, make it a production. Turn it into a call and response or or a read-together type experience. You could assign parts for low voices, parts for high voices, parts for young voices, parts for old voices, and just let people decide which voice they most resonate with. (laughs) And then it's read together as an entire congregation and kind of bringing out the cacophony of the sounds of creation itself. Hmm. You could also bring the kids forward and have them act out what you read as you read it. Um, or make it a real liturgical experience where you read a section and then the congregation responds and there was evening and there was morning 
the whatever day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I just rarely do we get a biblical text that is as theatrical, as dramatic, as rhythmic, as imaginative as this text. And I would just encourage you preachers to lean into it. I think those are great ideas. I, I lament how mundane scripture mm. reading in church services often is. So any mm. chance to do something creative and to um, enliven the text in the reading, I, w- I would go for it. And, and maybe that's especially where a very familiar text can yeah. be helpful, because many folks who would be participating in this already have some sense of what the text is and where it's going and could really get into some sort of participatory dramatic version of of reading it. Right. And there's nothing like Ashurbanipal, the Midianites, the Hittites, like there's no names yeah. to trip people up, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, and and I I could even see it being a productive task to intersperse your sermon throughout the reading of the text. Make it like a longer interactive meditation on this gorgeous piece of scripture. Or you could go the opposite direction and take very small chunks of the text and spin out their implications and their beauty. I mean, okay, take the very first verse of the whole Bible, for example. Uh, When I teach Hebrew, I, like my Hebrew teacher before me, make my students memorize the first verse of the Bible in Hebrew. Yeah, exactly. You could, I don't know if you, y'all could hear Tim doing it too, but like <laughs> this is a very common Hebrew teacher thing to do. Um, my dad had to do it. I do it, had to do it. And now I make my students do it. So we're just like, you know, producing it down the line, <laughs> but focusing on that, that tiny section, that tiny verse in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. If you wanted, you could spend your entire sermon just meditating with your congregation here in this verse, in the beginning. What does it mean to know that in the beginning, God created? What do beginnings look like in our lives? I mean, sometimes they're exciting. Often they're messy. Periodically, they're downright painful. As you preach this sermon, Think about all the people in your pews who are the soon to beers. What what was that? Soon to soon to what? Soon to beers. <laughs> you know, you may have like soon to be high school graduates, uh. soon to be college <laughs> graduates, soon to be empty nesters, soon to be parents, soon to be retired, soon to be moving, or or soon to be something they don't even realize yet. And in all of them, in all of those soon to be's. What does it look like? What does it mean that God is creating? God is creating. God is creating. This whole passage has a beautiful rhythm to it. And one of the most difficult parts of the soon-to-be's is that they can feel so rhythmless, so hard to find your beat, to walk without stumbling, to feel grounded and secure when everything is jarring and new. The cadence of this passage can be a gift to those who feel unmoored. Let there be, let there be, let there be. Use the poetry of this passage to explore the ways the Trinity is not only constantly creating, but is doing so in a way that actually actively grounds us even in the midst of our soon-to-be's. That's really great, Rachel. And and that rhythmic sense of this poem and the, the way that there's these refrains that come up that that can kind of get into people's hearts. And yeah. as they go through those soon-to-be moments, 
um, maybe maybe these phrases will percolate back up. Yeah. So uh, anything you can do to to help uh, these words get into people's hearts is yeah. uh, is a good thing. Yeah, I think about that often when it comes to the the section, you know, and there was evening and there was morning because it's rhythmic in English and it's rhythmic in he- Hebrew too. Vayhi ere, vayhi voker, yom echad or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's really great. Uh, are there any other preaching angles that you want to throw out there? I mean, how much time do we have? There's so <laughs> many. But, you know, really, if if I were you preachers, I, I would, rather than offering you, rather than offering you preaching angles, I'd invite you this week to just spend devotional time with this text, just really reading it in the presence of God. Um, so we don't usually do this on first reading, but taking a personal note, I had kind of a spiritual experience with this text recently when I was on a trip with some friends. Um we were doing a sort of spa afternoon and we spent mm-hmm. an hour in a salt cave, which I had never done before. And I don't know if y'all have done it. Yeah. So it's really like a room. It's got soft, muted lighting, lots of beautiful pink salt blocks everywhere, soft music, warm chairs. You know, you can picture it. It's supposedly got all these health benefits, but it was really just super relaxing. So I got to sit there for an hour and just let my brain sort of roam. I don't know about you, Tim, but being paid to think, <laughs> I, I rarely let my brain just go where it will without sort of forcing it into a certain direction or towards producing a certain product. And I didn't have to do that for that hour. I just got to let it go and sort of follow whatever path it went down. And for whatever reason, my my half-closed eyes sort of fixated on this one pink salt block that they had lit up with a soft, warm light. It looked almost like if you picture a campfire that wasn't moving, just this really cozy ember glow. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it struck me in that moment that maybe this was what light looked like on those first three days of creation. Hmm. You, you know, so according to the text, God creates the great lights in the dome of the sky on the fourth day, the sun, the moon, the stars. So on those first three days, if you try to imagine it, there wouldn't have been starlight. There wouldn't have been sunrises or sunsets. There would have just been light. Mm -hmm. And I spent that hour just picturing God on each day of creation, just imagining what God might have seen on those days, however you want to count them, unfolding. Hmm. Now, my point here is not that this text should be taken literally necessarily. My point is that simply that for an hour, I felt very close to God as I used this text to imagine what God might have looked at, felt like, seen as creation unfolded. And that's sort of what I mean about giving people an experience of the Trinity instead of trying to explain the Trinity, if that makes any sense at all. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, another of the of the refrains that's in this text is, and God saw that it was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, this is not a section of Scripture that's giving us what we would have seen if we had been there. As you are indicating, we're we're actually sort of getting God's perspective, yeah. what God would have seen and experienced in this interpreted view of, of the yeah. creation. So I, I think that's really insightful, and I'm, I'm glad that you let your mind and spirit wander into that space. That's a great insight. 
Well, and, and I think it really speaks to the power, as we've said over and over again in the last 10 minutes, the power of this text. It is so imaginative and it's so ripe with fruitful possibilities. So I don't know if that helps you come up with a sermon <laughs> angle at all, but one final plug. So again, as you heard earlier, my dad had to memorize the first verse of, of the Bible in Hebrew. I did it. Tim did it. Our students do it. And and I have found it to be one of the most rewarding things. And I've also found it to be incredibly powerful to use it with church folks who don't often get to hear what the Bible sounded like in its original language. And I would just say, if you remember any of your Hebrew, dear listeners, I'd encourage you to spend some time this week memorizing this first verse. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Exactly. Memorize it, use it in your sermon, maybe even teach it to your congregation as one of those texts that Tim was talking about that really can sit in people's hearts and minds. And hey, if your Hebrew is rusty, you can always sign up to audit our Hebrew classes at Trinity or CTS <laughs> over Zoom in the fall. <laughs> Great idea. Great idea. Well, thank you, Rachel, for inviting us into a sort of creative imagining of the possibilities for this really familiar text. I, I think there's a lot that preachers could do with this. Yeah, thanks for letting me go there, folks. Well, we're hoping that you found something really useful in this discussion. If so, why don't you reach out and tell us about it? You can email us at firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Our website, firstreadingpodcast.com, has all of our past episodes and, um, you know, t-shirts and stuff. Right. You can also click that donate button to help us keep the podcast going. Make sure to subscribe and get our newest episodes the moment they drop. First Reading is produced by me and by Rachel, along with Rosie Candethel and Paul Essa. Thanks to all of you for listening. It's been good to have you with us. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. <laughs>